Hello, friends. It's July 16th, and what a wonderful addition it can be to your day to take a daily excursion through the pages of God's Word. This is the One Year Bible Tour Guide, a podcast that can be downloaded every day wherever you are and wherever you get your podcasts. And we read together the entire Bible in a year with daily portions from the One Year Bible Reading Plan. You can access the plan freely online at oneyearbibleonline.com and use your own Bible, or you can purchase a One Year Bible at your local bookstore. No matter what your reading method or if you're just listening, we welcome you. It's good to have you with us. My name is David McAdam, pastor and teacher at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts, and I'm happy to serve as your tour guide and point out highlights you don't want to let slip by after we read each day's portion from the Old and New Testaments, the Book of Psalms, and Proverbs. We are in the Book of First Chronicles now and reading about King David and the preparations being made for the building of the house of God. It becomes clear in this account written after the first temple had already been destroyed by the Babylonians, that the author sensed there was a future son of David that would build a house for God as well as establish his kingdom according to the promise that God had given to David. So let's begin our reading. First Chronicles chapter 22 is where we start our expedition today. First Chronicles chapter 22, verse 1. Then David said, Here shall be the house of the Lord God, and here the altar of burnt offering for Israel. David commanded to gather together the resident aliens who were in the land of Israel, and he set stonecutters to prepare dressed stones for building the house of God. David also provided great quantities of iron for nails for the doors of the gates and for clamps, as well as bronze in quantities beyond weighing, and cedar timbers without number, for the Sidonians and Tyrians brought great quantities of cedar to David. For David said, Solomon my son is young and inexperienced, and the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, of fame and glory throughout all lands. I will therefore make preparation for it. So David provided materials in great quantity before his death. Then he called for Solomon his son, and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name, because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. Behold, a son shall be born to you, who shall be a man of rest." I will give him rest from among all his surrounding enemies, for his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish his throne in Israel forever. Now, my son, the Lord be with you, so that you may succeed in building the house of the Lord your God as he has spoken concerning you. Only may the Lord grant you discretion and understanding, that when he gives you charge over Israel, you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper if you are careful to observe the statutes and the rules that the Lord commanded Moses for Israel. Be strong and courageous. Fear not. Do not be dismayed. With great pains I have provided for the house of the Lord one hundred thousand talents of gold, a million talents of silver, 
and bronze and iron beyond weighing, for there is so much of it, timber and wood, too, I have provided. To these you must add, you have an abundance of workmen, stonecutters, masons, carpenters, and all kinds of craftsmen without number, skilled in working gold, silver, bronze, and iron. Arise and work, the Lord be with you. David also commanded all the leaders of Israel to help Solomon his son, saying, Is not the Lord your God with you? And has he not given you peace on every side? For he has delivered the inhabitants of the land into my hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and his people. Now set your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. Arise and build the sanctuary of the Lord God, so that the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy vessels of God may be brought into a house built for the name of the Lord. Chapter 23 David Organizes the Levites When David was old and full of days, he made Solomon his son king over Israel. David assembled all the leaders of Israel and the priests and the Levites. The Levites, thirty years old and upward, were numbered, and the total was thirty-eight thousand men. Twenty-four thousand of these, David said, shall have charge of the work of the house of the Lord. Six thousand shall be officers and judges, four thousand gatekeepers, and four thousand shall offer praises to the Lord with the instruments that I have made for praise. And David organized them in divisions corresponding to the sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The sons of Gershon were Ladan and Shimei. The sons of Ladan, Jehiel, the chief, and Jetham and Joel, three. The sons of Shimei, Shalomoth, Haziel, and Haran, three. These were the heads of the fathers' houses of Ladan. And the sons of Shimei, Jehath, Zinnah, and Jeush, and Bariah. These four were the sons of Shimei. Jehath was the chief, and Zizah the second. But Jeush and Bariah did not have many sons, therefore they became counted as a single father's house. The sons of Kohath, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel, four. The sons of Amram, Aaron and Moses. Aaron was set apart to dedicate the most holy things, that he and his sons forever should make offerings before the Lord and minister to him and pronounce blessings in his name forever. But the sons of Moses, the man of God, were named among the tribe of Levi. The sons of Moses, Gershom and Eliezer. The sons of Gershom, Shebuel, the chief. The sons of Eliezer, Rehabiah, the chief. Eliezer had no other sons, but the sons of Rehabiah were very many. The sons of Ishar, Shalomith, the chief. The sons of Hebron, Jeriah, the chief. Amariah, the second. Jehaziel, the third. And Jechamiam, the fourth. The sons of Uziel, Micah, the chief. And Ishiah, the second. The sons of Merari, Mali, and Mushi. The sons of Mali, Eleazar, and Kish. Eleazar died having no sons, but only daughters. Their kinsmen, the sons of Kish, married them. The sons of Mushi, Mali, Eder, and Jeremoth, three. These were the sons of Levi by their fathers' houses, the heads of fathers' houses, as they were listed according to the number of the names of the individuals from twenty years old and upward who were to do the work for the service of the house of the Lord. 
For David said, The Lord, the God of Israel, has given rest to his people, and he dwells in Jerusalem forever. And so the Levites no longer need to carry the tabernacle or any of the things for its service. For by the last words of David, the sons of Levi were numbered from twenty years old and upward. For their duty was to assist the sons of Aaron for the service of the house of the Lord, having the care of the courts and the chambers, the cleansing of all that is holy, and any work for the service of the house of God. Their duty was also to assist with the showbread, the flour for the grain offering, the wafers of unleavened bread, the baked offering, the offering mixed with oil, and all measures of quantity or size. And they were to stand every morning, thanking and praising the Lord, and likewise at evening. And whenever burnt offerings were offered to the Lord on Sabbaths, new moons and feast days, according to the number required of them, regularly before the Lord. Thus they were to keep charge of the tent of meeting and the sanctuary, and to attend the sons of Aaron their brothers, for the service of the house of the Lord. And this concludes today's portion from the Old Testament, our reading from the book of First Chronicles. Now let's take a few moments to recap and reflect upon what we have just read. The sovereign hand of God is at work throughout the biblical narrative, directing the main activity of his redemptive drama onto a relatively small center stage, the shelf of rock known as the Mountains of Moriah. Literally, Moriah means scene of God, or to paraphrase, center stage. This is where the father Abraham was told to take his only son, Isaac, and offer his son as a burnt offering. He was to go to one of the mountains, of which I shall tell you, in Genesis chapter 22, verse 2. Abraham, the father, is told to place his son on the altar to be sacrificed, and then God intervenes, saying that he would provide himself a sacrifice as a substitute, Genesis chapter 22, verse 8. He was to name the place Yahweh Jireh. Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord will provide, as it is said today, In the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Genesis 22, verse 14. God was telling Abraham, through this worshipful demonstration of self-sacrificing obedience, that on this mountain God would provide His only Son as a perfect sacrifice. It is to this same shelf of rock, the threshing floor of Araunah, or Ornan, that David is directed to build an altar to remove God's wrath against the great sin of numbering the people. When David saw the angel of the Lord with his sword over Jerusalem ready to destroy it, David offered himself and his family to take the punishment instead of having the whole city destroyed. David said to God, Is it not I who commanded to count the people? Indeed, I am the one who has sinned and done very wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? O Lord my God, please let your hand be against me and my father's household, but not against your servant, that they should be plagued. 1 Chronicles 21, verse 17 David's self-sacrifice could not turn away God's wrath. Only the sacrifice of a sinless substitute can turn away God's righteous anger against sin and make an atonement. That's the perfect sacrifice of Christ. So David is directed to build an altar where one day that perfect atonement would be made on Mount Moriah, the threshing floor of Araunah, otherwise known as Golgotha, Mount Calvary, and the Temple Mount. Then David said, The house of the Lord God is to be here, 
and also the altar of burnt offering for Israel. 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 1. It will be here that approximately 1,000 years later, the promised son of David would offer the temple of his body on the altar of the cross on this same shelf of rock. David offered to pay the full price for Arauna's threshing floor, 50 shekels of silver. Arauna offered it as a gift, but David did not want to offer sacrifices without any personal cost to himself. However, we read in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 25, David paid 600 shekels of gold for the site. This purchase evidently included the grounds on which Solomon would build the temple. It is here that God chose to be his dwelling place. David sings of this in Psalm 132. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his habitation. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. Psalm 132, verses 13 and 14. In First Chronicles chapter 22, we see David as a father preparing for the work of his son. The father provides the building material and design for the son to build a God-glorifying temple. The father has secured abundant resources for the work of the son, who will construct a dwelling place for God's presence to establish his rule on the earth. Once again, the promises of God do not just have Israel, but all nations in view. Just as all the families of the earth would be blessed by Abraham's seed, that is Christ, so the temple built by the Son would attract worshippers from all nations. David said, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the house that is to be built for the Lord shall be exceedingly magnificent, famous and glorious throughout all lands. Therefore, now I will make preparation for it. So David made ample preparations before his death. 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 5. David then commissions his son Solomon to build the temple. This has the relationship of God the Father and God the Son in view. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 36, For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus said, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The writer of Chronicles has the advantage of hindsight and knows that both the reigns of David and Solomon did not fulfill the messianic promises of the Davidic covenant. The time of Israel's kings was over. No son of David would sit on the throne until God would provide his son to be born in the line of David to fulfill the promise of a kingdom that would endure forever. Both David and Solomon, and all human beings, fail to keep the terms of the covenant, to be careful to keep the law of your God. As we will read today in Paul's letter to the Romans, all have sinned and are presently falling short. The Greek word tense is present continuous continually falling short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Jesus comes to fulfill the law and proves himself to be the builder, the temple, the glory, the king, the priest, and the sacrifice required to fulfill the terms of the covenant. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. David charges his son to build a house for the name of the Lord. It would be built by Solomon, who was a man of peace and rest. 
David explains that the Lord said he would not build the house because he had been a man of war and had shed much blood on the earth. Jesus, in his first coming, would be a man of peace, who would bring peace by shedding his own blood on the cross. John chapter 14, verse 27, and Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. When Jesus comes a second time, he will come as a man of war, Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, to establish a kingdom of peace on the earth. In chapter 23, David gathers all the leaders as well as the priests and the Levites to give them to Solomon with temple and governmental assignments. The priests and the Levites were both descendants of Levi, but the priests had to be descendants of Aaron, the first high priest of Israel. Only they were authorized to perform the sacrifices of the altar. The Levites were descendants of other sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, In this permanent temple, their duties were no longer on transporting the tabernacle, but focused more on assisting the Aaronic priests in the maintenance of the temple and its services. They did the work of elders, judges, and deacons. They were those who set forth the bread for the table of showbread, making preparations for the offerings, serving as custodians, assistants, praise leaders, musicians, and repairmen. They participated in morning and evening praise services under the supervision of the priests who were descendants of Aaron. Now let's move on to our next stop in our Bible tour in the New Testament, the book of Romans, chapter 3, verses 9 through 31. Romans chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one 
who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. And this is the end of our reading from today's portion from the book of Romans. Paul gives a summary of his argument begun in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, that Gentiles and Jews alike fall short of the glory of God. Both are sinners, who whether born under the law, written on tables of stone, that is the Jews, or the law written on the heart, the Gentiles as well as the Jews. All are condemned and in need of salvation. Paul summarizes this with Old Testament scriptures. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 quotes Psalm 14 verses 1 to 3 and Psalm 53 verses 1 to 3. Romans chapter 3 verse 13a quotes Psalm 5 verse 9. Romans chapter 13b quotes Psalm 140 verse 3. Romans chapter 3 verse 14 quotes Psalm 10 verse 7. Romans chapter 3 verses 15 through 17 quotes Isaiah chapter 59 verses 7 and 8. Romans chapter 3 verse 18 quotes Psalm 36 verse 1. Human beings suffer total depravity, which is evident in their minds in Romans 3 verses 10, 11 and 17 and 18, their hearts in chapter 3 verse 12, their speech in chapter 3 verses 13 and 14, and their overall behavior and life direction in Romans chapter 3 verses 15 through 17. The purpose of the law was not to aspire striving in self-effort for righteous achievements, for by the works of the law no flesh is justified. The purpose of the law was to reveal the righteousness we do not have and desperately need. The law is to show us our need for a Savior. In Jesus we not only have righteousness revealed to us in His perfect example, but we have righteousness offered to us as a gift. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 3, verses 22-24 through 24. The Greek verb to justify, dikaiao, is used 27 times in the New Testament and is a word that means to declare righteous. It is a forensic term. It is the proclamation of a legal verdict that all guilt has been acquitted from the accused party and instead righteousness is imputed. This describes what happens when a person puts their trust in who Jesus is as the Son of God, the Lord of all, and what He accomplished when He offered Himself as a sinless substitute on the cross on their behalf. God declares the repentant sinner who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ as being legally absolved of all guilt and credited with the Savior's perfect righteousness. Jesus' righteousness, the righteousness of God, is now seen by God as being our own. Verse 24 underscores important biblical truths that were freshly rediscovered during the Protestant Reformation. Therefore, the Reformers, such as Martin Luther and John Calvin, trusted Scripture alone, sola scriptura, instead of the religious understanding that salvation is something that is to be earned through works of our own righteousness. Number one, it is given freely by grace, sola gratia, by grace alone. It is undeserved favor. Number two, it is given to all who believe, 
sola fide, by faith alone. Number three, the object of saving faith is the person of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and His redemptive work on the cross, solus Christos, in Christ alone. This is all for the glory of God, soli Deo gloria. There you have the five solas of the Reformation. What good news this is. Guilty sinners can be justified by faith in Christ, justified, just as if I'd never sinned. Penitent believers in Christ Jesus and His finished work are received by a holy God, not only as those who have been fully pardoned, but those who have been credited with the righteousness of Christ. Justification by faith does not nullify the law as a revelation of righteousness. It points to the fulfillment of the law's demands in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's go to our next stop on our Bible tour, which is the Bible songbook, the book of Psalms, Psalm 12, verses 1 through 8. The faithful have vanished to the choirmaster, according to the Shimoneth, a psalm of David. Psalm 12, verse 1. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, With our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us, who is master over us. Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. Let's take a few moments to reflect upon this psalm. The psalmist bemoans the condition of society. Where have the godly and faithful gone? Fake news and flattery, beguiling and deceptive talk are the communication channels of the day in verses 1 through 4. What is vile is honored among men, as the wicked freely strut about in verse 8. This could have been written today rather than 3,000 years ago. The Lord hears the cry of the oppressed, the weak, and the needy, and will come to their defense in verse 5. What anchors us securely in troubling times? The words of the Lord are pure words. The New International Version translation reads, The words of the Lord are flawless words, as silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times. Now our reading from the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 19, verses 13 and 14. A foolish son is ruined to his father, and a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. The Hebrew people recognize that wisdom is not merely the intellectual grasp of true principles, it is the behavioral application of truth. God's word gives us instruction from our Heavenly Father. We are fools not to obey it. God gives counsel for our relationships and for marriage in particular. Marital contentions can wear one down. But God gives us His Word and His Holy Spirit to sanctify married couples and prepare them and all believers to be the sanctified bride of Christ. A prudent wife, unlike house and property, should be recognized as a most outstanding gift of God's grace. Amen. Let's pray. 
Sovereign Lord, you have demonstrated in your dealings with your servants that you are ever mindful of our greatest need. You are faithful to have called us into fellowship with your Son. He is our dwelling place, our perfect King, Priest, Prophet, Judge, Sacrifice, and the one through whom we have access into your presence and can behold your glory. We are grateful for the gospel that has called us out of darkness into your marvelous light, and that through faith in our Lord Jesus and his saving work on the cross, we are justified freely by grace. Thank you for the full pardon and the gift of your indwelling Holy Spirit that we have received. Empower us this day to live for you and through you. Soli Deo Gloria. In Jesus' name, Amen. That completes our reading from today's portion of the One Year Bible and I trust that it has given much food for your soul to meditate upon. God willing, we will be with you tomorrow and continue our journey. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can write us at podcast at newlife.org. And if you would like to receive a written commentary on each day's portion, you can subscribe to our email list by going to our website, newlife.org. So until next time, I pray that you are abounding in the grace of God, enjoying every minute of fellowship with Him who never leaves us or forsakes us. Shalom.